future shock is a sickness which comes from too much change and too short a time. It's the feeling that nothing is permanent anymore. It's the reaction to changes that happen so fast that we can't absorb them. It's the premature arrival of the future. And for those who are unprepared, its effects are pretty devastating. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, a podcast from the People Forward Network. I am Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of the crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of people, technology, and business. Yeah, and Ira, today I'm really excited for our conversation. We'll have a guest with us here in a little bit, but for the first 20 minutes or so, we're just going to talk about a lot of the crazy shift that is going on. I know every week we have amazing guests on, and we'll be excited to uh, to continue that today in about 30 minutes. But we thought it would be good to take a step back, catch our breath, and maybe talk about some of those highlights and some of the things that have been going on on many of the episodes that we've had recently. And there's so much going on. And for, for those that are, are watching and eventually will be listening on the podcast, one of the questions we ask at the end of, of show to our to our guests is what's a book that influencing them or what's a book that they remember? Being an older boomer, I gotta go I can go way back. And there's so there's so many books that have influenced me, maybe for that time and then you forget about them. But just maybe two or three years ago, thanks to one of our guests that was on the show, he said, you know, we have the 50th anniversary of Future Shock coming up really forgot about the book and went in and dug around. And for anybody that's looking, you can see this is the original book, 1970 by Alvin Toffler. And what's really incredible, and in fact, I'm going to play a short video here. Uh, now, this is Orson Welles, somebody else from our past. People may know, remember him if you like the scary old movies. But for many, maybe some of our Gen Z and, and some of the younger millennials don't remember. But I want to show there's a short clip from a documentary that I think this was in 71 or 72 that Orson Welles described what future shock was. So hopefully all this technology will work. So let me find here it is. Future shock is a sickness which comes from too much change and too short a time. It's the feeling that. Nothing is permanent anymore. It's the reaction to changes that happen so fast that we can't absorb them. It's the premature arrival of the future. And for those who are unprepared, its effects are pretty devastating. Love the old music, right? Absolutely. Very foreboding. I don't even know if you were born when that came out. I may not have been. I'll date myself here. 1979. So it's possible. Your parents weren't even thinking about you at that point. <laughs> That's right. But Future Shock, I mean, when you think about that, now this is 2020 was the 50th anniversary of that. 
the book came out in, in 1970, but he was talking about that. And think about the vision that even then, that things were moving so fast, technology was changing things so fast, that our lives were changing so quickly. And, you know, growing up in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, I mean, there was a lot going on. I mean, in the 60s, there were three major leaders in our country that were assassinated. I mean, that sounds like third world country stuff. I mean, we had JFK, we had RFK, and we had Martin Luther King, all, all, all assassinated within a five-year period. I mean, that's just crazy. And then we landed on the moon. We had the Vietnam War. We had gas We had gas challenges, inflation. We had shortages of gas. I mean, it was, it was absolutely bizarre. Uh, and things were just out of control. And now we've just accelerated it. But when you think about going forward 50 years in 2020, with so many people stressed out, what we talk about, you know, next week we're going to be talking in, in Indianapolis together on the no BS workplace, uh, which and BS, by the way, is burnout and stress. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun time. And, you know, you, you talked about how that video is talking about how so much change happens in such a short amount of time. And absolutely, I'm sure that causes future shock sickness for us to change. But I also wonder, Ira, how much of this is due to the fact that many things that used to be stable aren't as stable anymore. Um, our economy right now, inflation is on the rise. It's sounding like the feds are going to raise interest rates again to try and, and start using some of their tools to bring inflation down. There's the Russian-Ukrainian war. Um, there's us still coming off the tail of the pandemic and wondering what COVID will look like in the fall and winter, uh, potentially with some new variants. So I imagine a lot of it is, yeah, there's been a lot of change in a short amount of time, and there's still more change to come. But I also wonder sometimes, are we also just feeling a lot more unstable? Because the ground underneath us isn't as secure as what it was. Certainly, there's a lot of people who have changed jobs. Many of them have changed jobs and actually made more money which is a good thing for them, but just a, a lot of change in a short amount of time. And during a time right now we're going through where there's a lot of upheaval and a lot of uncertainty. And so certainly excited to be with you next week here in Indiana at the HR convention, where we will have the opportunity to share what are some adaptability skills that people can develop, but organizations can develop too, to, as you put it, be more like water. So that regardless of those external circumstances, you have a tool set that you can rely on to help you navigate and thrive whenever things are changing quickly or whenever the foundation and the stability of things that you've known for so long aren't there anymore. We, we talk about this all the time and, and, and every week. I mean, that's what our show is about, is, is helping people get through this, to understand that to maybe provide some security, maybe a safe place to learn how to, to, to cope better um, because there's so many things going on. And we've got a couple exciting things that are going on in the background that we don't always get a chance to talk about because there's there's a guest and we will have a guest. John Byrne is going to be joining us in, in uh, a few minutes here. And uh, we've got an exciting announcement on that as well. But one of the one of the things that we hope that our episodes do is that they're they're educating people, they're creating awareness, that they're learning from those. But we are now going to be able to provide Sherm credits for each episode, and we're really excited about that. There, for anyone who's interested, they need to reach out to us to get the code and so forth. And there's also to verify that you actually listens. 
We need to, to make sure that we're doing everything right. There'll be a little bit of a quiz, just kind of a couple learning points, just an acknowledgement. It's not, it's not, not a pass fail, but it's just some acknowledgement that you listened and you'll be able to get at least a half a credit, 0.5 or more, depending on what the episode and who our guest was and the topic. And we'll be doing some packages. So that's that's something I hopefully uh, will will reward me a little bit of recognition for people that, you know, are growing audience. And many people I know are, are active participants in, in SHRM and, and hopefully we can help them uh, continue with their education that way. Absolutely. We're excited for that. And I mean, let's face it, this is the way people learn now, right? The days of going out and, you know, just going through a learning module through an LMS that takes an hour, like people learn now more in bite-sized chunks. And that's why podcasts are so popular. You can learn so much in 30 to 40 minutes. It's just another value add. And certainly many of our listeners are in the world of human resources. And so it just made sense to be able to offer that for them. And how much is changing in the world of human resources and what is to come? We had Greg Verdino on just a couple of weeks ago talking about some of the major shifts in HR technology is going to be Web3. And one of those changes might be that people have an NFT, which is a non-fungible token that actually captures their achievements, their contributions, IP that they have helped create at businesses. So it'll be like a running log that travels with you so that people know what your skills, capabilities, aptitudes, achievements are so that you may no longer have to have a resume or a curriculum vita, but you'll actually have an NFT on the blockchain that's verified that shows that the work that you've done. And so with all of this shifting and changing in HR, we are happy to be at the forefront of offering amazing guests that are helping us sort through this and understand it and now be able to offer those credits for HR professionals to continue their professional education. Now, absolutely. And, and when you're talking about micro-learning, we're also excited to announce the, the AQ Plus Mindset program is now available. We're working on the resilience, but the mindset is out. I'm just going to see if I can show a slide here real quickly. For those who are watching, you can actually go to the QR code and get a demo, and you'll get four of the 20 messages that you would get on a daily basis, which includes anywhere from an article that's written about mindset, how to growth mindset, a video, TED Talks. There's a challenge. we got the Yeti challenge, the Yet I challenge of how to convert from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And if you want to learn more about the whole program, the AQ Plus Mindset, you just go to aqplusmindset. Dot com and, and this is going to be part of the theme for my keynote, keynote next week in, in Indiana, talking about reimagining your tomorrow. And we're talking about all the complexity. And yes, life is more complex. It's more volatile. It's more uncertain. It's more ambiguous. VUCA. We talk about that all the time. We individuals need more advanced skills. And we, we both agree, and a lot of other people agree, that growth mindset is really one of those fundamental parts that people just have to not only just have a more open mind, but they have to, they're going to have to be willing to take some risks and changes. People are taking a lot of risks. They're quitting their jobs and they're moving, to, they're, they're moving on. But the challenge with that is, is now there's a lot of people that have regrets. And you know whether they didn't think through it or they, they think they made a mistake or it's a little hard, they have to meet new friends, they have new routines. How do people get through that? So it's, it's beyond just growth mindset. But the first step is having that willingness to take a leap, have some faith in themselves, to try something new, be willing to make a mistake. If, if you, for those people who did accept new jobs and you have some regrets, it doesn't mean you made a horrible life decision. 
you tried something, you, you hopefully you learn from it, and now you move on. It doesn't mean you have to go back to where you were, but maybe there's another better opportunity out there. And so many people would just say, you know, I should have never done it. And now I'll, I'm never going to take a chance like that again. I'll just be miserable in my, my same old job for the rest of my life. I'll be stressed. I'll be burnt out. I'll, and, and they'll just take those uh, circumstances. So it's pretty exciting that we have that. And it's so um, important, Ira, that pe- that growth mindset, because it, let's be honest, the, the mental health data are really scary across the country, across the world, but particularly the United States right now. The American Psychological Association just in February took a survey to see how stressed people are, and it's at the highest levels in 40 years. And a lot of people are walking around with what I call high-functioning anxiety. And this is what it looks like on the inside. Here's just a list of some some things of, of what it looks like. I'm sorry, on the outside first, and then we'll talk about on the inside. So people with high-functioning anxiety on the outside look like they're hardworking, detail-oriented, high-achieving, ambitious, uh, perfectionistic, organized, and well-prepared. So a lot of good characteristics there. Uh, but sometimes those things can can get into a fixed mindset, especially the perfectionism. And then on the inside, what that high-functioning anxiety looks like is that we tend to overthink. We get overwhelmed. We get burned out. Uh, we have a tendency to need to be busy. There's self-doubt. We can turn it into people-pleasing or trouble saying no. And so the AQ+, plus, the growth mindset, really helps people take a step back, hop off of that hamster wheel, and think about what are the mindsets and beliefs that are really critical to become more adaptable and not just operate in those anxiety patterns that we often have just learned to cope with that become second nature and become habits. And that's why it's the high functioning anxiety is because you're still doing okay at your job, but on the inside, it's taking a toll on your health. It might be taking a toll on your relationships. And the AQ plus growth mindset is going to equip people to become more fluid, more flexible, getting comfortable making mistakes and learning from those. And those are things just honestly, as someone who's a recovering perfectionist myself, entrepreneurship was the best thing that happened to me to help get over those because you learn really quickly to fail, learn from it multiple times a day. Um, It's just part of the growth process. So just to reinforce how important these things are that you've created around helping coach people how to become a growth-oriented person and develop those growth mindset skills, they're important not only to overcome the high-functioning anxiety at work, but at home too, and to have a more calm, vision-centric type of life that allows you to focus your best efforts and give your best self to the things that you're working on. And sometimes when it might be time to say no to certain things also um, in order to grow too. And sometimes you can learn something and you have to unlearn it. And the older you get, there's more I have to unlearn with that. I'm going to change, we're going to change some things around here, Jason, because I want to be able to get our guest, John Byrne on, who we have a, who I was introduced just a few weeks ago. He had me on his podcast, which is called Dig Life Deep. John's an award-winning journalist, was an editor of a, of a, mag, of a magazine for people who, uh, he's, he's actually a contributing contributor to New York Post. Uh, he's been cited in the Wall Street Journal and a whole list of other media. He'll, he'll be able to share those. 
he had such a nice response and I'm so grateful on the podcast that we did that he invited me to do these five minute series. And we're going to call them Future Shock 2.0 or some variation of that down the road. I'm going to bring John on, but what I want to do is there was a new study by Deloitte and, you know, the, and I want to get, this is going to be some of the things that we talk about on John's podcast as well. And that's why I'm introducing it and also get his feedback on it a little bit as we learn more about him and his new on this podcast that there was Deloitte released the survey about women in the workplace. The last 10 years, they call it the she session because there were so many women that dropped out of the workforce because they were care. They had to be caregivers, mentors. Somebody had to be home with the kids. Somebody had to take care of the parents and the relatives and everything else. But the stress is getting worse. Amazing statistic is that 53% of the women that were surveyed in this Deloitte uh, report, 53% are more stressed today than they were a year ago, which is bizarre. More than half serve, and this is a warning shot, big warning shot for employers. More than half of the women surveyed said they were going to quit their jobs within the next two years, which is pretty scary. 46%, almost half, said they were they felt burnt out. And that was the number one driver they were looking for new employment, going back to what you shared about the stress and anxiety and this future shock feeling. 44, now this is nuts, 44% said they, they felt that they got adequate mental health support from their employer, less than half. For all we do, we talk about creating that psychologically safe space. People are talking about what can we do differently? We're going to be people first, people forward. People are going to be our most important assets. We're going to do all these things. And then yet half of the women that are, that are working are saying, we don't think we have the employer support. Um, and it's worse for people of women of ethnic groups and lower income. One in three women took time off from work due to mental health half rated their mental health as poor, and just 10% said they plan to stay with their current employer for more than five years. I mean, some real warning shots there. So I think that's a good intro to bring John on because beyond what his, and he'll hopefully clarify this or expound upon it, his Dig Life Deep podcast explores issues beyond this. He's talking about inflation, the economy, uh, the demographics, the, the politics. The, the global tensions. He goes way beyond just the workforce. He, he's more his business and we're, and obviously people are part of that business. So uh, I'm going to bring John on. Welcome, John, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. And Jason, nice to meet you also. You too, John. Thanks for being with us. So John, just I'm going to do a quick a quick intro. You can expand on that. Correct me if I'm wrong. They said you have the podcast that I, I I'm so grateful to be on, and we're going to hopefully be a contributor for that for for a long time coming. Dig life deep. It's fascinating, and I highly recommend people go up and look at that. Was you also have a couple other ones, and I, I think you just introduced one this week. Uh, it's 14 weeks in the running. It's now top rated on Apple. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations. I moderate, anchor, host, pick your own word, and it has interviews, conversations, debates with Dick Beauvais. He's the chief financial strategist at Odeon Capital Group and Matt Van Alstein, Odeon co-founder and managing partner. So they're the meat and substance, if you will, of this 
podcast on all things money and markets has been a terrific uh, response here in North America and in Europe. Uh, very happy with the um, reaction. And again, we'll, we'll make sure that all these are posted in the show notes and so forth that people can go up and, and identify because I know you have, again, you have at least the two podcasts and I believe there's a third one. Is there a third one running? Well, I interact with other podcasts, but right now it's two. We're, okay. we're looking at a third. That may be it. I think that you told me that. Give us a little intro of of what the response was. You know, you reached out, I think it was on one of the services. I responded. We connected. We talked at that point about job boom. Is it a job boom or a job bust? But there, we immediately listeners resonated. And and so tell us a little bit more about that and what the upcoming series is going to look like that that I'm going to be participating with you. Uh, Sure, Ira. Um, The show aired April the 1st, and we looked at the jobs market in America and then more broadly, globally. And you were the expert I brought on and you identified, which was really interesting to me, the fastest growing jobs in America and the most in-demand So I had to kind of wrap my head around that. The in-demand jobs are all the obvious ones, I suppose. Retail, McDonald's, services, nothing wrong with those jobs. They're great jobs for some people. Maybe not if you want to have a middle-class career and support your family later on. But, you know, transitory jobs for some people and for others, you know, part-time jobs. And and the uh, fastest-growing jobs, again, some of them are obvious, but others not so obvious, you know, in high-tech, engineering, IT, uh, sciences. And so we got into that and you, you know, analyzed the pluses and minuses of the way the labor markets are structured in America. And one of the interesting things was on the area of immigration, immigration uh, allowing professionals to have a visa to come in here and work. So we covered all of that and... You gave us an enormous amount of statistics and took us back to the 1950s era and compared the demographics in the 50s to where we are at today. That was particularly striking because you you showed up some of the trends that I wasn't actually aware of. Uh, There's it's an incredible number. And, you know, certainly one of those that I know my listeners have heard uh, is the decline in male participation rates since 1950. You know, it used to be that uh, between eight and nine men of working age had a job. Now it's it's a little over 60%. So it's, it's almost a 25 to 30% drop in male participation. Uh, you know, the common question we always get is, is why are they just sitting at home and, and basking and getting government checks? And some are, but there's a large number of men who are incarcerated, opioid addiction, disabled. So there's, there's, a, there's a long list also that, that, as you heard us speaking before about women in the workplace, at that point in, in 1950, 1.5%, 1.5% of women went to college. Now, 60% all college graduates are women. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. It's a huge jump. So jobs became more complex. Skills were required. Men still were filling those um, the blue collar jobs, uh, the jobs requiring only a high school degree and got away with it for many, many years. But now even the trades, I mean, other than swinging a hammer and cutting, you know, and being able to use a saw, if you're in plumbing, 
electrical welding, you're a technician. You need technical skills to be able to do those jobs. When I, I always bring this example up, HVAC. When they come here, I've, I've got a computer running that just happens to heat and cool air. It's no, it's no longer an old boiler with moving parts and they come in and they swap out the parts. Now they have to go reprogram, you know, the thermostat. There's, there's um, uh, boards, computer circuit boards that are running it just like your car. A car is no longer, is a computer on four wheels. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the world has changed, but you did mention those jobs in the vocational sector. And we asked the question, you know, why can employers not find enough of these quote unquote blue collar middle class workers? Uh, I mean, a lot of it's obviously cultural, but I mean, the salaries some of these folks are pulling down are large and, you know, oh, and they go into the trades without no student debt. You, you know, if you're a plumber, you can, you can get a job anywhere, but you can't find them. Right. There's six figure salaries or more. Uh, and and again, there there could be a cost to education, but it's it's significantly less than than many colleges. I mean, I, I just I just pulled up the other day, one of my uh, where I got one of the degrees, it's forty eight thousand a a year. I mean, you're talking just tuition is two hundred thousand dollars, and and one of them's an Ivy League school. That wasn't it. These are two small private schools. It's jaw-dropping. I mean, you talk to graduates of medical school, some of them are paying off debt 200000 That's not unheard of. My if if you want to a four-year having drag on their life going forward, of course, later on they make you know large salaries and they deserve it, but that's that's a huge drain on their finances. Well, it depends. I mean, whether if you're going into neurosurgery, cardiovascular surgery, orthopedics, then yeah, sure you can you can pull down you know high figures, but if you're going to family practice, which we need people, family practice and internists, they're not pulling down these huge salaries, and but they pay the same amount. They still have to go to four years of college, four years of medical school. They take a residency, which is always at a reduced salary. So they're doing ten to 13, 14 years of school. Uh, they get a, a small stipend. When they're in their residency, by that time they're in their 30s, they may have a family and they get $100,000. I mean, having 500, I mean, if you're talking four years of a private school, four years of medical school, you could easily be talking three hundred to $400,000 of debt. Uh, that takes a while to get paid back. And then, and, and it used to be at least that the interest rate was deductible. The interest rate isn't even deductible anymore. It's just cash out of your pocket. And, you know, so maybe, maybe I know today in, in the news, they were talking about some waiving of educational debt. So maybe, maybe I that would help. That. But yeah, maybe, maybe these doctors and, you know, and students get some kind of a break. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's a drag on the economy also, because we a saw and a half dollars of school debt. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. So these are some of the things we're going to be talking about. I don't want to hold you too long, John, because I know I carved out some time for you. I wanted to get you on. And I was so excited about talking about this and learning about your podcast. What are some of the upcoming, we recorded a few the other day, but talk about some of the upcoming episodes and what we'll be talking about. Well, uh, it's an interesting menu. We've got workforce trends, disruptions in the workforce. We open up with a general overview of what we, we want to achieve in this segment Future Shock 2.0. 
Uh, we're going to look at other topics. We look at women in the labor force. We look at the robotics technology. We look at, do you need to go to college? And if you do go to college, what's the best advice there is for graduates? All a lot of your wisdom and research here, Ira. And thanks. Yeah, and I'm so excited about that. So hopefully we'll have as nice a response. The first episode, well, you can go listen to all the Dig Life Deep episodes uh, now on Apple and any place else they listen to podcasts. How can people get a hold of you and when does our first episode drop? Um, I hope I'm planning to have the first segment drop this Friday, working on that as we speak. And people want to get a hold of me. I'm up there on Facebook, uh, Dig Life Deep. I have my own website, John Aiden Byrne. I'm up on Instagram, Dig Life Deep, LinkedIn, John Aiden Byrne, Twitter, Dig Life Deep, or my own personal one, John Aiden Byrne. Uh, if they want to email me, John Aiden Byrne at optonline.net. And we'll have all that information in there for, for the listeners. For pre- if you're listening and driving or, or whatever you're doing right now and you can't write that down, no worries. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure we we have those links in the note. John, it's been, I'm so excited about this. I appreciate the opportunity. Love the podcast. I'll be excited to, to listen to the new one, to your other one as well. And uh, I, thanks. Thanks for helping. Yeah, Ira and Jason, thank you for having me on. Keep up this great discussion. I was really into it earlier and you're talking about chaos in our society. Great topic. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you, appreciate it. Fascinating. Love talking to John. He's and, and again, I, I highly recommend you, you go check out the Dig Life Deep podcast because the range of topics is fascinating. And he's certainly a well, well, super well connected guy. We're going to take a short break here and we're going to hear from uh, more a little bit more about adaptability. And then we're going to come back and Jason and I will start to wrap things up. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Ira, that when you were talking with John, there were so many fascinating topics you brought up there that you're going to be covering with him. And and one of them, it sounded like a little bit, it's interesting that Deloitte's been putting stuff out on too, is when we're talking about 
the shifting of work, the most fundamental thing looks like is going to shift about work are jobs themselves. Um, Deloitte put out some fascinating stuff here just over the last six months, two articles. The first one here is about completely restructuring jobs themselves. This was by Susan Cantrell at Deloitte. And she says, unboxing people from jobs and deconstructing them into their full ranges of skills, experience, and interests enables them to be seen as unique individuals beyond their job descriptions with significant diversity, equity, and inclusion implications. And then she goes on, she talks about how the way we've traditionally thought about jobs actually pigeonholes people into certain types of roles where there's rigid job descriptions, it creates glass ceilings, inadequate processes for identifying and nurturing strengths, lack of upskilling or reskilling resources, um, and then it can actually induce certain types of cognitive biases. And then she closes with this, which I think is really powerful. She says, jobs as we know them are a product of their time. And that is jobs are a rigid solution that no longer serves today's dynamic, more complex problems. We need entirely new approaches to mobilizing and coordinating human effort, moving people from being boxed into jobs to actually creating roles built around the individual. And then one other article real quick, and I want to get your insights and reaction to this from Deloitte that just came out this week. So in addition to what Susan just shared, here's another article Deloitte rolled out, and they're talking about the shift in HR and that it's going to be about achieving business outcomes in the context of three futures. Future one is the future of enterprise. Future two is the future of workforce. And future three is the future of how work gets done, which alludes to the things that Susan just talks about. And then those three futures are going to be achieved by focusing on change in four areas. Mindset goes along with the growth mindset coaching we've been talking about today. Your focus, the lenses that you're using, and then making sure that you have the enablers as well inside the organization. So lots of stuff, good stuff that's coming out from Deloitte about reimagining what jobs even look like. Yeah, the amount of research is is mind-boggling and it's a real opportune time. And it's just, again, I know we've talked about this on on different occasions, but it just blows my mind when you hear people, well-respected people, smart people, super smart people that we, we admire, but like Laszlo Bach, who this week says, or last week says, Nah, hybrid work's not going to be around. It's not going to stick. Um, uh, other, you know, many, many other people. McKinsey's got some great reports. BCG, uh, Boston Consulting Group. Uh, every group is coming out with these studies that shows how dynamic it's going to be. What What I love about what the first article, Susan's article, talked about was that when I when I'm doing my presentations and talk about what the future of work is going to look like, I say that there's six things that are going to happen. One is there's a new, we need a new definition of work. We think that the, we've always, man has always worked, but they didn't always go to work. They did the concept of a job, which I, I remember somebody telling me about 30 years ago, what job means is just over broke if you have a job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, love the acronyms. But the concept of a job in the way that we know, we think that it, this that Adam and Eve got up in the morning, got up every morning and went to work, or at least Adam got up and went to work, and Eve took care of the house. I guess going back to old stereotypes, but they didn't have jobs. The, the concept of a job didn't start until the Industrial Revolution in the 1850s, 
And, and it really, until the early 20th century, it wasn't the dominant way that people worked. Most people worked on farms. They're agriculture. Most people didn't have transportation. So a lot of even the idea of a job and getting paid for that and has changed so dramatically. Uh, and it's got to be redefined because it, it's been about a 170-year experiment and it's evolved and it's still going to evolve. But it's not only how work gets done, it's where now it's where the work gets done. And then that means what's the organization look like? So there's a redefinition of the workplace, of just the very definition of work. And there's a redefinition of organizations. And I know this goes back to your web, the web three, but DAOs, decentralized anonymous organizations, that's, I won't say it's, it's not far off because there's some that exist already. Will it be mainstream in the next, you know, by 2030? Probably not. Are there going to be more and more organizations that are, are DAOs? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we, we need people that are our guests, our experts that study this all the time. But by 2050, is, is that going to be, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 percent of the way of the organizations that we work for? Who's going to work? What percentage are going to, you know, are there going to be full-time jobs remaining? Will one person, you know, we talk about one person used to have one career at the same company. Now you wonder if they have any career at the same company. You know, will they be full-time? If they are, is it just project work? How long will they be there? What will that look like? That, that take, what's the organization look like? Are there going to be physical are there going to be buildings that people physically go to work? Is it going to be by one company or is it going to be just this giant co-working space that a corporate building may have a hundred different businesses in it and everybody's sharing the same space? It's not that one business is on one floor and another business is on another floor, but they're all sharing those spaces. And some of the people may never show up to work there. Maybe people won't be on your payroll. Could be people who are anonymous that, again, because of the blockchain. So it's it's really, really fascinating where this conversation is going to go. And I, I'm almost embarrassed because I'm trying to keep up with it. And I feel that I'm just barely scratching the surface. I, used, I say for a lot of things, I know enough to be dangerous. I'm not even sure I know enough to be dangerous. I'm just dangerous. <laughs> Some of these concepts throwing them out. But it's, so, it's really exciting where it's probably going to terrify a lot of other people. But if you're not thinking about what is not how do we better organize, but what's the organization look like? What are we organizing for? Or are we just reorganizing the chairs on the Titanic? You know, what's leadership look like? I mean, we talk about flattened organizations. It's not just what we did in the 1980s, get rid of all the middle management. Now you cut out a layer. It's going to be much more complex than that, which then means that everybody needs to be educated differently. Managers need to be trained differently. Leadership needs to be trained differently. And then it's a whole threat to our I was thinking about this earlier today. It's a threat to the very way that our even our government is organized. Um, if if I, I know that there's this movement to, about school debt, let's say that we made education free. I mean, obviously it's going to affect jobs. Who, somebody's got to pay for it. It's not going to be free. You know what's what's that look like if everybody's entitled to a free education? That doesn't necessarily fix the job shortages. Because I can get an education and graduate 
just like now you pay $200,000 and graduate with skills that, that no one wants to buy. If it's free, then I'm not, I don't even have to have a commitment. I don't have to worry about paying it back. So do I go to school, learn something that I'm interested in, but there's no employer in the world that's going to be willing to pay me for it. Somebody's footing that bill. How does that change education if education's free? I, every, every issue we talk about, how do we change it, is a rabbit hole that has so many variables. And I think that's what's so fascinating, not, not only our discussions, but bringing in all, the, all our presenters and all our guests. And then it's like, oh, I can see how what this guest is talking about, another one has a solution, but the same solution becomes a problem to what the first solution that somebody suggested. Exactly. And I think one of the perfect examples of that real life that probably everyone can relate to is if you're going out to fast food restaurants to try and go get a burger or a taco after like 10 o'clock and you're used to the way things used to be, which is those kitchens and those restaurants were fully staffed or they're open 24 hours a day, like Taco Bell, McDonald's, White Castle. My, my guess is your experience has been if you've tried to go to some of those here recently, they're closed. Um, or if they're they're open, you'll get a response of, well, we only have one person on staff, so we're going to have to close early tonight and we, and we can't serve you. So those are some of just the small things I think that we're starting to experience just on an everyday basis in our everyday lives. They're telling us, OK, something's going to change here. And one of the changes that's going to happen is a lot of those types of jobs that people don't want to do. We're not going to go back to trying to get people to do them. What's going to happen is those are going to be automated. And I saw an article recently where there's a burger restaurant. I think it might have been in California where they actually have the fry cook is a machine that's actually rotating and cooking the fries. And so eventually you may have autonomous fast food restaurants that are serving and doing your food. And that's the next step of human evolution too, because we need to be equipping people with skills to solve the more complex problems that we've referenced today. We don't need necessarily more people going out doing more of the mundane, repetitive type stuff. There's honor in doing that type of work. But we want to help people prepare for the future. And the, and the fact is those types of jobs will be replaced by technology. And so now we need to start taking the next step forward to give people the skills to solve the more complex things that can't be done alone by machines. As we open the show every week, we talk about we are not we are not just another podcast. We have crucial conversations and we're having these crucial conversations. What and I know we need to sign off soon. But what what's mind boggling is, and this is almost 20, almost 20 years ago, when Tom Friedman's book, uh, his first book came out, uh, The World is Flat. And I had that book and I was reading it. I was going out to visit a client, hospital client of mine in Missouri, and it's in Cape Girardeau. And I'm reading the book and I get to the point where they talk about what what the future of fast food will look like. And again, he was talking about automation and replacement. And he said, if you go to this uh, there's a McDonald's in Cape Girardeau, which is where I was headed, uh, that if you go there at second or third shift, and it was open 24 hours a day because it was right off the interstate, that the when you have your order taken, when you do the drive-through and they ask you, can I take your order, that the person listening to the order was in Nebraska in a call center, and they took the order, and then they relayed that to the person inside. There was only one person inside at that time. Uh, that was 20 years ago. And somehow 
everybody went back to the old way. It's like, oh, that'll never work. And part of it was the technology, you know, talking through the, the phones, the, the, the microphones and the speakers were horrible. They're still sometimes not very good. But now you can have that person somewhere. Now it may be AI, it may be an AI voice, takes your order, delivers, delivers it to a, to a robot who, or a machine that French fries it. I know they're making pizzas that way. There's, there's, there's actually a chain that has all automated pizzas. Uh, again, that's the future. Now, people can say they like, you know, you don't go in now. You don't talk to anybody. It's a pain in the butt. You sit in your car. There's long lines. There's a long wait to be able to accelerate that. And, you know, there's going to be a place to have that in-person, human-to-human customer service. But if you fast food was designed to be fast food, which isn't always very fast. So there are certain jobs that are going to be replaced. But the amazing thing is, is for every robot that's built, it creates more jobs because somebody has to right. somebody has to build it, program it, maintain it, repair it, install it. So there's a whole set of new jobs. Somebody that just says, I'm not very good with technology or I don't want to have to work that hard. Uh, that's that's part of our challenge. You know, right now is getting people to have a different mindset. No, you don't have to, to maybe if you don't like technology, you don't have to work to know, you don't have to be good at technology, but you're going to have to be good at technology to get paid because you're going to have to learn how to open your smartphone, download your, your app uh, to receive your money. So we can wax on for a long time, Jason, but we're at the end. This was fun. We have to do this more often. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many incredible guests we have and John was great today, but sometimes it's nice to take a step back and recap some of the more recent themes and episodes and topics we've been doing because we always say, where does the time go? Sometimes it's nice to take a step back and, you know, unpack things a little bit further. But we want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. If you have not subscribed to the podcast on your favorite platform, we'd appreciate that. And also, if you would be kind enough, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Absolutely. And I'm Ira Wolf. And thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for being a regular listener for Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Mm -hmm.